Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. You can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Um, that's where we're going to be. Um, Isaiah's not the middle of the Bible, but if you take your Bible and you just kind of let it fall open to the middle, um, you'll probably hit pretty close to Isaiah, if not exactly in Isaiah. But it's kind of right in the middle there. We're going to be looking at a whole bunch of scriptures, just like we've been the last couple of weeks. But we're going to spend a little more time in Isaiah chapter 40 today. Because over the last few weeks, um, we've been trying to sort of wrap our heads around something that, that's pretty much impossible to wrap your head around. Um, we've been trying to understand something that's, that's not really understandable, but we've been trying to, to at least gain a little bit of an understanding, even if we can't get all the way there, as we've been trying to take some time to understand just who God is. And when we talk about God, and we talk about God the Father, we, we sang this morning, I believe in God the Father. And so we've been talking about... Well, What exactly does it mean when we say we believe in him? And who are we talking about? Or what are we talking about? And how can we understand better who who God is? And we've looked at things like the doctrine of the Trinity. Again, we sang about that this morning. Our our God is three in one. And we spent some time trying to unpack what does that mean? And what does that look like from scripture? And we've talked about what it means that God is our father and our creator. And that we're his children created in his image. And what, what does that mean. And this week we're going we're gonna to go back to sort of the, the hard to understand well of, of theology this morning in, in, in talking about who God is. Starting next week as we, as we continue through this series, we're going to change the way that we're looking at God just a little bit and we're going to unpack some of the some of the attributes, what, what, what scripture will say God is like. And so we're, next week we're going to talk about, because scripture will say in, in the most uncertain terms that God is love. And so we're going to talk about what does it mean that God is love. And then from there, we're going to continue to talk about a couple more things that Scripture will say that God is. But today we're going to, we're going to look at one more sort of theological concept. Like The first week, the answer to the question, who is God? And we said the answer was God is. God is. That that's the answer to who is God. The answer is God is. And this week we're going we're gonna to touch on the idea that God is greater. And this is something that's very crucial that we do our best to wrap our minds around when it comes to understanding God. Because it's a fundamental issue that, that we, can, we can struggle to understand because it doesn't fit our normal human constructs. You see, cultures and Places and religions all over the world have gods. There's something innate in our human existence and in who we are as people, as we inhabit this, this, this planet, as we inhabit earth, there's something innate inside of us that has existed since we can go back and see where we understand as people that there's something bigger than us. 
There's something more than just us to the world. And, and, and it's not localized that, well, in this part of the world, they thought this, but most places, no, the entire history of human history, people from every corner of the world, from every culture, from every region, they, there's an understanding that there's something bigger than us out there. And no matter what corner of the globe you go to, you, you will find cultures with their own God ideas. And so, in the world, there are literally millions of gods that people believe in. In fact, you could probably say that there, there's an infinite number of gods that people believe in because there are some cultures and some religions that don't know how many gods they believe in. That they don't know. That there is no answer to how many gods populate this, this religion. And so, you don't know. So there's an infinite number of gods that people believe in. But when you look at the religions of the world, there's one big consistency that you can see with religion that, that comes from man's attempt to understand the world. That, that as men and, and, well, men, and the, men and women um, try to understand the world in a, in a larger sense, there, there's one big consistency that shows up inside the religions created by people is that the gods of these religions are pretty well always just bigger, larger exaggerations more powerful pictures or renditions of people. That, that what, what, what can we imagine? Well, we imagine God to just be a bigger, more powerful version of us. And even that, that thinking seeps into our own culture as, as, as you know, if we were to, to say, picture God for a moment... In our culture, and, and even here, many of us would probably picture a man up in the clouds with white robes and a long gray beard because we, we have this innate thing in us to understand that there's something out there, but also an innate thing inside of us to not be able to move beyond who and what we are. And so we, we tend to create gods in our own image. Now, we understand that, that most cultures would understand we're, we can't be God, and so they make us into bigger, or make God into a bigger version of us, that they're more powerful, but they're, they're people. They have more powers, they may be supernatural, but when you look at them, you see more, more of a superhuman, but you see profound human qualities about them. But when we come to understand the God of the Bible, when we look to the pages of Scripture, what we don't see in God is a description of God that's just somehow, well, he, he's a person just more than that. that he's a person just, just bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful. That, 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 that God doesn't show us himself that way, and he doesn't show us that, uh, that this is a way to understand him. At that times, he will use human language to help us understand, like when he calls us, or when he calls, tells us that he's our father. But God wants us to know that he isn't just a bigger, stronger version of us. 
And, and as God, in Isaiah chapter 41, I know I said to turn to Isaiah chapter 40, and if you're there, you can turn one page over to Isaiah chapter 41, because we're going to be there first, but we're just going to read a couple of verses. But in Isaiah chapter 41, there's this passage that people have dubbed the trial of the false gods. And it's kind of this moment where, where God speaks to human idolatry. And he speaks to the followers of, of other gods. And he speaks to, to essentially what would be their gods. And, and he challenges them and says, look, if you want to understand who God is. And you want to understand how to understand God. And how to compare the real God to, to a human created God. God sort of speaks to this in verse 21 through 24. Where, where God will say this. To, to the followers of false gods, to false gods, he will say, present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen? Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are God's. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and be filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. God challenges these other gods. Tell us what happened in the past, but don't just tell us what happened. Tell us why it happened, and not just, you know, the, the geopolitical reasons that things happened, but the, in the hearts of people, tell us why these things happen, or tell us what's going to happen. Do something that would show us that you're a God. He challenges them and says, these are the things I know. That I can say, that I can, I can tell you why things happen. I can tell you what's going to happen. And we see that in, in the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus and how every single one of them was fulfilled to the letter. And he challenges and he says, if you want to see the difference between, between the, the God of the Bible and the gods of this world, have the gods of this world do this. The God of the Bible spoke and created the galaxies, the universe. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is not like any other thing. We read that he created the stars, and we, we sang about that this morning. He, he holds them in place, and he knows their names. There's billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and that's just one galaxy. And as best as, as science can estimate at this point, there, there's between one and two billion more galaxies. And God says, I know every single one of those stars' names. A billion billions. I got that. No problem. And this is where we're going to come to Isaiah chapter 40. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, God sort of, through the prophet Isaiah, tries to sort of say, here's how to try, and if you want to try and take me and put me into your terms, here's what that would look like. To give us a picture of what it's like to try and understand God. So in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21, God through Isaiah says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
Has it not been told to you from the very beginning? Have you not understand or understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift high your eyes and look at the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Because of his great power and might and strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. God doesn't paint a picture and say, well, I'm kind of just like you, except more. I'm kind of just like you, just bigger. God's not bigger us. He's not the kindest, most wonderful person times a hundred or times a million or even times a billion. He's in a completely different category He's not, well, sort of like us, but it's sort of like if you, if you wanted to, to talk scientifically about the human body and speak how, how the human body is primarily made of H2O molecules. And if you were to talk scientifically and say, well, the, if you want to know what makes up a human, it's mostly H2O molecules. And you would be correct in saying that. You would be at least partially right. But you would also be missing a gigantic part of what makes us different than a lake. That we're both primarily H2O molecules. That, that the makeup of you and the makeup of a lake, it's really not that different. Except it's profoundly, vastly different. That no one looks and they go, oh, hey, John, sorry, I, I thought you were a lake there for a minute. Oh, well, that was weird. Um, that, that there's a similarity, but there's a profound difference. And so when we try to just explain God in human words and in human terms, there may be a similarity, but there's a profound difference that exists between us or between what, what a human is and what God is. It's the same when we try to think or describe God in human terms. There, there's an ability to do that, but when we only do that, when we only think of God in terms like that, we're missing on, about, on what makes God, God, not just a better, fancier human. And so what we need to understand, what we need to come to a place where we, where we realize is, is that God is completely independent 
of the world. That the world doesn't add or, or give anything to him. God is not contained or bound by our human understandings and paradigms. This, friends, is what it means that God is greater. In Romans chapter 1, it will tell us this. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And we can also read the same kind of sentiment in Colossians chapter 1, where it will say, For in him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things, all things were created through him and for him. These verses tell us that because of God, we are able to understand or that we, can, we are able to understand our world and ourselves when we understand that, that it all comes from God. That we don't understand God by, by trying to understand our world and ourselves. That, that God doesn't come from that. But as we understand more about ourselves and our world, we discover that, that it comes from God. And, and not only did it come from God, that it, it's through him that all of those things are still here, and it's actually for him that they're all going to remain. This means that, that our world, our existence, who we are, what we are, our lives, they're completely and utterly dependent on God. And without God, nothing that is here would be here, and if he stopped holding it together... It wouldn't be here any longer. But this also shows us something really important to understand about God and his relationship to his creation. Because he's bigger and above and creation is, is accountable to him, not him to his creation, what this tells us is that God is not contained by his creation or his world. He's not constrained by what he's made, that he exists above and beyond it. And that means that he's not obligated or bound to act in any certain way towards it, that the rules of creation don't apply to the creator, that God is above and beyond his creation. And so as we look and we see our natural law and we see how things work in the world and we understand, well, if this is what this is, then this must be this, that God exists and exists above all of that. And so as we look at who God is and we say, well, well, this doesn't make sense in my natural understanding. And, and we've had people and we see, can see people struggle with that understanding of God. And they'll say, I struggle with believing in God because I don't understand how it fits into our world. And the answer is that we say, yes, he doesn't. It doesn't make sense because it's not supposed to make sense. That we cannot just rationally find the box that God fits inside and go, Ah, I get it. But what we have to understand is that rather than fitting him into our world, we need to understand that our world fits into him. And he's bigger than our world. And so what that means, if God's not bound to act inside of our world, what that means is that when he does so, he does so freely. He does so because he wants to. 
He does so because he desires to. That when God speaks to you, when God works in your life, when God does something in your life, it's not because he has to. It's because he wants to. When God intervenes in our story and in our lives, it's not because he has to. It's not because creation says he must. But instead, it's because he desires to. He wants to speak to you. It's because he loves his creation. And we continue to get this picture painted in Psalm 140 or 145, 13, where we read this, where it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. What this means is that time has no hold on God. I was at a at some meetings this, this past week. I was in, in BC for a couple of meetings, and one of the meetings that we were talking about sort of the trends inside of, of human history and philosophy and understanding and, and the effects that it's had on the church. And, and we talked about, you know, well, there was the Renaissance and there was the Enlightening and there was the, the Industrial Revolution and there's postmodernism and there's modernism and all of these things. And what we see is as people, we've, we've changed and the way we think has developed over the years. And we used to think like this. Now we think like this. And we believe that truth was, was objective and then truth is subjective. But now it's kind Kind of objective and subjective and it's all and the way that we as humans see and process and understand the world can change but what verses like this tell us is that God's not determined by any of that that as human philosophy and human thought and human understanding comes and goes God's dominion endures through all of our human generations. What comes in and out of humanity's belief and understanding and philosophy about the world doesn't affect God. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't somehow, oh, oh, well now they think this. No, God remains God. Being eternal means that God's power over everything, living and non-living or spiritual, is, is forever. It doesn't stop. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, will say this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And in Deuteronomy chapter 33, it will say this, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. God's eternal nature exists beyond us. And so when we come to God, we're not, well, is God still God? God will always be God. And so what does this mean for us? Th this idea that God is bigger, above, beyond everything that, that we understand. What, what does that mean for us? What, what is the take home other than what did the pastor preach about? And you say, I'm not really sure. What, what, is it, what does it mean for, for us as people? That God is more than just us, but extra. That God is outside of our human and earthly understanding. That God is bigger than time itself. See, having someone with us 
for eternity is very comforting. It means that he will be there for our lives forever. That we don't know what tomorrow will bring. None of us do. Even Jesus will say, we don't know what, what tomorrow will bring. But we do know who will be with us tomorrow. We don't know what next year will bring. But we do know who will be with us next year. Nobody knew that there was a pandemic coming when there was a pandemic coming. But we knew who was with us during a pandemic. And what it means is that the next generation, our kids, and our kids' kids, and our kids' kids' kids, and our kids' 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 kids, and however many kids you want to throw on there, if the Lord hasn't returned yet, God will still remain eternal. And so we can have hope that God will be with us from generation to generation to generation to generation. There's one last sort of verse that I want to I drive this home with, and then I'm going to close with just a couple of things. But Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4 says this. And I think this is a good takeaway that if you're, if you're wondering, what do I take away from this this morning? I think Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4 could be a really good verse to underline in your Bible or to double tap if you're using the Bible app or, or whatever. But Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4 will say this. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Trust in the Lord because the Lord himself eternally will be our rock. We're able to have an incredible trust and hope in God because he is our rock, our support, our shoulder, whenever we need it and whenever we think we don't. God will be there for us. Life is, is full of challenges. Life is full of trials. To use a bible word, life is full of tribulations. And sometimes in all of our lives, we get tired of the battles we face. That there are times that we, God, I cannot do this anymore. I'm getting tired. I cannot keep fighting. However, knowing that God is our rock, but not just our rock, but our rock eternal, makes us realize we're, we're in good hands now. And now? And now? And now? And now? I think you're getting the point. But tomorrow, 10 years from now, your grandkids, your great-grand, God will be the rock eternal. And to close, I want to show you this. Because God exists above and beyond our world and nothing that happens in our world affects him and because God will be here today, tomorrow, and forever, God's unchanging nature means that we can depend on his promises. 
So in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 say, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That same God is holding on to you. That, that same promise that nothing can separate you from his love is as true today as when Paul wrote it, and it'll be as true tomorrow when we stumble and fall and screw up and we think, can God still possibly love me? We can go back because God doesn't change. And so when Paul said, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us, nothing will still separate us. That means that God's love is still there today, and we can have a trust, and nothing can separate us, because God doesn't change. Or in Philippians chapter 4, it will say this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests, to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That same God that inspired Paul to, to write this promise from God is still there for us Today, he's still the same God. He hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. That God wants you to hear these words from the Apostle Paul today and believe in them and trust in them for your life and your worries and your fears today. God hasn't changed. And so when we read these words and we go, well, Paul wrote those 2,000 years ago. What? Who knows what could have changed since then? Nothing. Nothing has changed since Paul wrote these words. Or Romans 8.28, which will say, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him have been, and have been called according to his purpose. Some have shared with me over the last little bit some very difficult circumstances, some very difficult news. But yet we know the same God that Paul wrote about that was, is working for our good in all circumstances. Not all circumstances are good, and that's the promise. That even when they're bad, that God is going to work to bring good out of the most difficult, dire, worst situations. The same God who told Paul that is the same God who tells you that today. Whatever it is that you're facing today, the most difficult times of your life, the most difficult situations, the most difficult news, that the same God who made that promise is still working to make good come to our lives and our stories. And even bigger than that, even bigger than our life circumstances, John chapter 14, Jesus will say this, My Father's house has many rooms. If that weren't so, I would have told you, or if that were so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where, our, where I am. Our heaven, or we, we have this promise that Jesus says, my father's house has a room for you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And that same God who has that same room for you back then has a room for you today. And so we don't have to live in fear and worry of like, oh, have I lost my room? Has God rented it out to someone else? Is my reservation still good? Do I, I need to look for another confirmation email? Should I send it? You know, I have prepared a room for you. And I'm going to come and take you with me to be with me where I am. We can have a confidence and an assurance of our salvation and who we are that once we know Jesus and once we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior and been brought into his family, that we have an assurance of our eternity. And no amount of time from when those words were spoken will dim the truth of that. And lastly, Ephesians chapter 1. We read that all of this is secured for us and we can have confidence in who we are and how we can see and understand ourselves, our past, our present, and our future. In Ephesians chapter 1, it will say, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father that we talked about last week, He doesn't change. He's not affected by the world around us the way we are. He isn't affected by us the way the world around us might be, the way others around us might be, because He made it and He exists beyond it. And so we can have this assurance that the God who was is the God who is and is the God who will be. The promises of God are yes and amen for your life today. Does the pro do the promises of God still apply to me? Yes, they do. Because God doesn't change. And we say, you know, time changes things. Not when you exist beyond time. Well, circumstances can change. Not when you exist beyond circumstances. And so we can place our hope and our trust in him, our eternal rock. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you do not change. Day by day, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, millennium by millennium, You exist beyond all of that, and through that, you don't change. And so who you are is who you were, and who you were is who you will be. And God, I thank you that in you, we can rest and have confident assurance that you are God in heaven, 
and that that will not change. The promises you made to your people are the promises you make to your people. And so God, I pray for all of us who live with doubt over your love and care for us. All of those who live with doubt with, have I done too much? Have I gone too far? Have, have I been wrong enough that somehow God will have changed towards me? God, I pray that we would find the assurance, the confidence to know that you have not changed. And God, I pray that that would fill us with hope today. That the God who, who fought for his people still fights for his people. The God who loved his people still loves his people. The God who cares for his people still cares for his people. The God who led his people out of Exodus in Egypt is still leading people to freedom today. The God who died on the cross for his people because of his great love for them is still loving us today. And so God, I pray that we would be able to come to you this morning or this, this afternoon as our eternal rock. That we would be able to rest knowing you're there for us and that you have not changed and you will not change. God, give us hope today for who you are and what you've done in our lives. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God is on the throne. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
Separate us from the love of God. No mountain, no fire. 